Welcome to the Altruism Unplugged podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Walsh. Welcome to another episode of the Altruism Unplugged podcast. Our guest today is Max Fisher of Endurance Leadership Coaching. Max is also an accomplished producer and musician who's toured all over the world. Max has also performed at the White House, the Kennedy Center, and had the honor of playing at Stevie Wonder's Lifetime Achievement Award celebration with 24-time Grammy-nominated artist India Ari. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here, Jerry. This is uh, this is going to be fun. This is really an honor, and I'm I'm really happy that you're that you're doing this. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started with your. Endurance leadership coaching, you have used your philosophies to coach actresses, CEOs, musicians, but you, know, you particularly specialize in kids from the age from 9 to 21, particularly males. Why that age group? Well, I mean, I think partly it's because it was just a, a natural outgrowth of me teaching music. You know, I was mostly teaching music to kids. Uh, I think that's one reason. I think the other reason is because it's really um, it's just really fun to get in on the early stages of a human being. You know, they're still being formed. There's so many questions. They're trying to figure out who they are, um, and it's a great place to try to help them uh, lay down the the a great foundation that will last them for the rest of their lives. Um, so it's a great place to kind of to to put seeds. Um, I think you know maybe one reason why it's been it's been more you know boys, men, young men than women. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think it you know partly it's just because I'm a guy, and it's just it's it's a little bit easier for me to you know kind of understand what they're going through, especially at that age, um, because obviously you know we we all sort of share in a in a general experience. So that's probably uh, an issue too. And I think the other part of it is that, um, you know, it, it may be a, a little bit of a confusing time for, for young men in the 21st century. And uh, which, you know, for all sorts of reasons that we don't have to get into necessarily, but uh, they may be needing some more nuanced guidance than maybe in previous times. So I think that's probably why. Right. And, you know, when you see somebody who has gone through some of the same things as you or look like you, speaks like you, talks like you, you know, that sure. usually you know helps, of course. It's easier. It's easier to make that connection. Absolutely. Now, so let's get into the reason why you came on the show. So mm -hmm. for Altruism Unplugged, we raise awareness for charities and nonprofits, but we also you know, welcome business leaders who want to use their platform to give back. What are you trying to do with you know, ELC to you know, give back? So right now, what I'm looking for is a uh, you know a candidate, um, you know one one person, um, generally between the ages of let's say 14 and 18, who's looking for a year of coaching, and uh, you know it's not necessarily you know two hours a week, one hour a week. It's sort of to take somebody on, you know, basically within a reason for whatever to you know to try to help them uh, do whatever it is that they're trying to do. So that's what I'm offering, uh, you know, one year of just that service for the right candidate. And I was hoping to use uh, your show and your network and to 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 put the word out and to maybe find somebody who would benefit from that. 
yeah, if there's there's a way I can make I can make that connection, I certainly will. And if I can be a part of that, I'd be stoked. Um, so if there's anybody that listens to the show that you have someone within your family or friends anywhere in your network that you feel like, you know, that would work for you and you and you have someone that, you know, is in need of any kind of guidance or leadership, you know, please reach out to myself or reach out to Max. And yeah. uh, we'll make sure we make that connection and make it right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So people can kind of hear about you know, Max's story and how endurance leadership came about. Um, would you want to go into how ELC was born? Yeah, sure. Sure. So it wasn't, uh, you know, it was, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it was kind of born over time and it was sort of the confluence of a few different events. Um, you know, where to start? I was born in Russia and I came here with my mother and um, I have a, you know, I have a great dad, uh, but I don't know my biological dad, and I never knew him. And then back in the early 2000s, he was shot. And, uh, you know, I heard about that years later and wasn't even really quite sure how to react to it. Um, You're saying your, your, bio, your biological father was shot or yes, yeah. your adopted father? Yeah, he was, my biological father was shot sometime in the 2000s. And not exactly, I have some ideas to why, but I don't know the full story. And, uh, you know, so I, I found out about that. Um, I think I only found out in like 2014 or 2015. I found out, you know, definitely some time after that. So, uh, and I was sort of, you know, I was already teaching a lot and I kind of had a, you know, a proclivity to teach. I had a, you know, I guess you could say a talent for it because it's just something that I started doing and it started to work out. Then, you know, fast forward some time after that, um, there were a couple of things that happened. Uh, I was um, I was going through some, you know, some life challenges at the time. And I walked into I had was going through some challenges. And actually, the story is kind of funny. I ended up going to a uh, to go see a therapist and absolutely nothing wrong with therapists. And I'm not knocking the profession at all whatsoever. But my particular therapist, um, she uh she fell asleep like twice in our sessions and then she just like she this one time she just passed like a lot of gas loud and i was just laughing about the whole thing i was like i was like you know i was like man it's like is my story is it that boring so you I'm know almost, but... i'm almost certain there's an adam sandler track <laughs> where like he's visiting a therapist and like he's like that's not me that's you I, yeah right exactly and it's exactly. like someone's someone's passing gas the entire time and you know it it, it it was, you know, the whole thing was a little ridiculous. And I, and I remember walking out of there and I was just cracking up. I was just laughing about the whole thing. And I just knew through instinct that what I had to do to figure myself out and to get better was to go and do something that I had never done before and something that was going to take me way out of my comfort zone. So I walked down to Washington Avenue and walked up those steps to the second floor of Dadis Martial Arts and uh, met a guy there named JD, John Dadis, Brad Dadis's brother. Uh, found out that he was a musician too. Um, as an aside, JD and I have become very good friends. We've actually played a lot of music together through the years. And, uh, you know, he got me started in the crazy world of, um, of Muay Thai boxing, um, which was like way out of my comfort zone at the time, uh, without a doubt. 
and Which, and it's mostly out of everybody's comfort zone when they walk through those doors. I, yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine so. I would imagine so. But I I started to realize that like the more that I would go, um, the the better that my there were all these sort of like nonlinear relationships. Like my life was improving because of it. Um, then at the same time, there was uh, there was a father of um, three students of mine, three music students of mine, who I was just I was just very impressed with him uh, at that time. Um, he seemed to just kind of have every single sort of, you know, part of his life together. Um, his, his, his business, his, his family, all, all these different things. Very, very impressive guy. And uh, so I realized that he had gone to the Naval Academy. And I was like, you know, the power of the Internet, I started to look at their website and I started noticing that they had classes on leadership. And literally at the time I was like, classes on leadership? Like what, what are they talking about? What the hell is that? So it got me reading about it. It got me reading about, um, about basically, you know, getting, first of all, getting your act together and, uh, and trying to figure out how to master yourself and then for the purpose of also, you know, again, leadership is, is a lot of things. It, it sort of depends on what point of resolution we're looking at it. But ultimately, I think, uh, you know, I started to learn about to realize that, you know, how do you how do you try to how do you try to better yourself and master yourself? And then how do you try to how to do for others and how to use that skill to also enhance the lives of other people around you? Um, also, Saul, I'd say that's important that you focused on yourself first like you know a good leader has to be able to lead from the front and you know if you didn't focus on yourself and get yourself together first you know how would you able to would be able to step forward and and run somebody else through it absolutely absolutely and and there were and and the coolest thing about it for me was that i was feeling frustrated in other areas of my life in terms of like my business and my career or whatever and it was like man i don't need anyone's permission to start putting these putting these concepts into practice. I don't need anyone's permission. I don't need a degree. I, you know, I don't need anything. I just have to start doing it. Like no matter where you're at, if you're a president of a company or if you're a busboy at a restaurant, it does not matter. You don't need anyone's permission. Uh, your status is not important. Your title is not important. Um, you can just start to implement these virtues. And yeah. And and in the military, they call that OJT, on-the-job training. I like that. I like that a lot. So, you know, and in, in, in Dadis also, I was, meeting, uh, I was meeting so many great guys and girls too. Uh, but, you know, it was predominantly, a, you know, a, a, a place where there were mostly men. There were more men than there were women, I would say. And, um, you know, I met Brad and I met the other coaches and that's where I met you. And uh, there, there was also something just, you know, incredibly um, fair about martial arts. It was just merit-based. You go there and you try and, you know, often, you know, I would make a, a fool out of myself or an ass out of myself. And all you really have to do is come back. You just have to come back and try to do the best that you can. And there was something that seemed, there was just something incredibly empowering about that as well. So those two things started to really kind of permeate my mind and, and, and start to really kind of get under my skin. Um, 
And, you know, I was already, again, I was already like a teacher. So, they, you know, there's a certain amount of coaching that you're doing when you're teaching. So that was already kind of happening too. And, uh, and at one point there was this, uh, there was this, this one young man who I've been coaching for a very, very long time. Um, we were sort of doing everything. We were doing like his homework and his anger management problems at that time. And we were playing chess and we were talking about strategy and we were talking about life and the best ways to act in a given situation. And she was like, oh, I know what you do. She's like, you know, you're a life leadership coach. And I was like, I, I don't even, what is that? Like, I don't even know what that is. So um, then one of the things that I was inspired to do was to kind of put these, put these ideas into practice and see if this stuff actually works. You know, does it, does it actually work? If you start acting in a certain way, if you start trying to adhere to certain principles, um, what kind of results will you get? And there are thousands of people that buy all these leadership books or these self-improvement books, mm -hmm. and then they just stack there on the shelves, gather dust, and never try to implement it. So you're, yeah. you know, you're looking up to people, you were seeing, you know, maybe what kind of strategy they were using and some of the books they were reading, but you're actually trying to get out there and implement it. I was definitely going to go out there and implement it because what, because where I was coming from, where I could, where I definitely saw a parallel is like, you know, it's like the bedroom musician or the bed or the garage band that never gets on stage. You know, it's one thing to practice. It's another thing to get on stage. And, uh, you know, everything changes the minute that you have people in front of you and that you're trying to do it as a performance. You can't practice that. You could prepare for that, but it's very difficult to go and practice that without actually going and doing that. So, um, you know, I have a cousin and he's adopted. His name is Rafael and he's a younger cousin and he's adopted from uh, Colombia, South America. And all of my cousins on my mom's side um, are girls and he's the only, you know, he's the only other guy. And uh, so probably, I guess in the year, like maybe 2013 or something, um, you know, he had fallen into... I mean, frankly, what, what I've seen a lot of young men fall into, which is uh, isolation, uh, drinking, um, a lot of video game playing, like hours and hours on end, um, not necessarily being in school, not necessarily working, and uh, usually coupled with like, you know, Having a, having a little bit of a of a victim mentality about where they are in their life and and the rest of it and going down certain rabbit holes online, uh, having to do with conspiracy theories and everything else. Which again, that's that's its own subject, but it's sort of like, well, you know, again, what I had learned from from the books that I was reading, what I had learned from going to martial arts uh, at Datus is um, the real question is, you know, what can you do now? What can you do right now? What is in your circle of control? And it's, I think it's more than a lot of people think. And I think it's also a lot more than maybe a lot of young people think. So he was, uh, you know, he was struggling with all of that. And I had seen him in uh, 2013. And I was talking to his parents who just didn't know what to do with him really. And, uh, and I was like, you know, listen, I was like, frankly, you know, I got to tell you, he seems pretty, pretty lost to me. And I was like, at the same time, when he was a kid, he would always put up these posters, um, you know, of Marines in his bedroom. And there was a part of him that was like really attracted to military life. 
And I said, why doesn't he just go and try to join some branch of the military for a couple of years or a few years or whatever, and then see what happens? And so at the time, I mean, everybody just laughed at me. Everybody just laughed at the idea. They were like, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. Like Raphael was laughing about it. He was quite overweight at that time. Um, and that and, and that kind of that kind of speaks to where his mindset was, and everyone else around him. Like this guy, he doesn't have what it takes to do that. Like he, he Raph's not going to do it. He ain't going to do it. He, he everybody was like, he's not going to do it. This is not going to happen. This is just you know, like they're like Max, you're you know, you're out of your mind. And I was like, all right. I was like, look, you know, uh, it, it's my opinion. And I was like, I think anything short of something extreme uh, is not gonna is not going to do the trick because you know. It's it's about to me a lot of it is just about it's about mindset, but it's also about habits. And his habit was his habits, his not so good habits were just running so deep that it was gonna, in my opinion, it was gonna take something kind of extreme to shake him out of that. Anyway, that particular Thanksgiving or whatever it was came and went. Nothing happened. Year later I get a phone call from him. Hey, hey, what's up, Rap? Hey, yeah, all right. Let's go do it. Go do what? Uh, I want to go join the Coast Guard. Seriously? He's like, yeah, I want to go and do this. And I was like, okay. And I was kind of completely taken back. Uh, we went to go see the recruiter. And I could tell this recruiter just looked at us like, this is never going to happen. You know, this is never going to happen. And, you know, Raphael came there again, sort of, you know, in a certain kind of demeanor, a certain kind of body language, dressed a certain way with his long hair, uh, you know, again, quite overweight. And the guy just looked at me like, yeah, okay, well, you know, let's go through this. Let's go through the motions here. But, you know, this is not going to end up being anything. And um, now, so how far, how far out of standard was he? I mean, I, I, I was in the military, I was in the Navy, you know, and there was always a height and weight requirement. Yeah. You know, also some PT standards. You know, where, where did he stand as far as his... Fitness level. So, so for his height, he had to make, I believe, and I may get some of these numbers, you know, wrong along the way, but they're generally going to be, you know, either right or 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 almost right. Uh, he had to make one fifty five, and I believe he was two ten or two fifteen. So he was way off. And uh, you know, so I said to him, um, and I said, okay, well, listen, I said, why don't you come and live with me in Philadelphia? And let's just try it out for three months. And you also got to take your ASVAB exam and we'll see what happens. And I said, listen, if you come, I was like, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a lot of work. Uh, you know, you're going to be expected to do a lot. And if you're not ready for it, don't come, don't waste my time and don't waste your time. And, uh, and he was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm good to go and, and, you know, I'm ready and the rest of it. So he came and, uh, you know, Dadis was like, I told him about it. I told Brad about it. I told John, John about it, JD about it. Um, you were there, of course, the other coaches, Matt Mikowski, uh, Peach, Jackson, and of course, Cheesesteak. Everybody was just tremendous in their support. And uh, it, it just, it was an incredible, incredible community. Uh, that I think exists in, 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 in really in most martial arts, but, but Dadis to me was just a very, very special place. Um, so 
he came and I, at the time, lived in a big loft. It was a lot of space, but it was kind of basically one room. And, you know, he was sleeping on the couch and uh, he got a job parking cars and he had to basically, you know, go take a class in the morning, either Muay Thai or CrossFit or whatever, or some grappling class, go back in the evening and do it. And he had to run. And he also had to get on a particular diet. There was no drinking. There was no smoking, all of that stuff. No, I think it's important that you set those standards. You set the table for him before you came. You're like, listen, if you're going to come, this is what you got to do. We're going to set the standard high. You're, yep. you're going to have to do A, B, and C. And if you're not willing to do that, just don't show up. And he had to make that decision at that point in time. I think it's important for people to hear, especially like young people, like yeah, that was yeah. decision time. Like He had to make yeah. the call whether he's going to be in or out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they have to know, uh, I think, you know, he had to know that somebody – in this case, you know, his family member was going to, you know, was going to invest uh, quite a bit of time into him and not to mention the time investment of many of the coaches at Datis, you included. There were other, again, that, that were just incredibly helpful along the way. And so he then had to take the ASVAB. We got him prepared for that. And the first thing that happened was that he got a high score on the ASVAB. And all of a sudden I saw his confidence go up. And he was like, oh, you know, like I actually, you know, I scored. I don't remember exactly what his score was, but he's like, you know, th there would be nothing barring me, you know, becoming an officer one day or whatever. And I was like, great, let's celebrate that. That's, you know, that's that's excellent. Yeah, um, use it. it exactly. And, and that was kind of like the first win. And then uh, he worked really hard and he lost a bunch of weight. He was still not down to 155, but he he was getting closer and closer and um and i was again i was you know i was i was really hard on him and uh but it was it was working and then um i think about 3 months passed and he lost a tremendous amount of weight and his he was getting his mind right uh the asvab was already taken care of he went to go and talk to his recruiter again and the recruiter called me up and he was like he's like i can't believe what's going on He's like, I, you know, he's like, I can't believe how much weight he's lost. I can't believe how he's coming across what his, you know, what his demeanor is, the rest of it. I mean, he was just, he was just like, this is incredible. So, but he still was not at 155. And, you know, as you probably know from your days in the military, it's, you know, the weight thing is a funny thing because, um, you know, Rafi is not, you know, he's not short, but he's not tall. He's a medium height and he's, you know, he's, he's kind of stocky. So 155 for his height is tough. It's a tough thing to get to. And, you know, the Coast Guard recruiter was saying like, you know, the Coast Guard, you know, really likes, uh, you know, sort of like, you know, thin, lanky people because they got to get through those doors or whatever on, on the cutter ships or the cutter boats or whatever. So, um, and put it and put it this way too. Even with the fire department, I recently did a my physical, my yearly mm -hmm. physical, and like mm -hmm. they sent me something back saying I was morbidly obese. You know, because because <laughs> right. of the the you know because of the protocol they use, it really doesn't make sense. It really doesn't account for everything. It's yeah, it's a that's weird a little, standard. It's that, a weird the way that the measurements that they use is it's a little bit off. I think the measurements you know, for that are are definitely kind of off, but you know, as you also know, with the military, it is what it is. You know that, which is what I learned. You know, being part of the part of the process of of the the recruit, helping recruit, you know, uh, Raphael into the Coast Guard. So I learned all about that, and it's very difficult. To, you know, you're not going to change these things. So, um, 
so then he uh he went home for some time and i was a bit concerned because um you know home is you know brings up other memories for him and it's a different ecosystem and i wasn't sure if it was the best idea and he went home for a little bit and then i was like well look you got a great score in your ASVAB. You have proved to everybody that you could work really hard. You lost all this weight. And I was like, listen, this is my gift to you. But if you're going to come back and if we're going to go all the way now, all the way into you, you know, for you to get into the Coast Guard, for you to go to boot camp, do the whole thing, then I need to know that you're going to do the whole thing to the end because otherwise it's going to be a problem for our relationship. It's going to be a problem for us moving forward. And I was like, if something happens where you don't get in and it's not because of your doing, that's one thing. But if you quit at this point, it's going to be a problem. And I was like, or, you know, we can just part ways now. Like, we're good, man. Like, you got a lot of, you got a lot of things done in these three months. And I was like, I want to be clear with you. It, you know, it's not really about the Coast Guard for me. It's not really about the military. It's about you picking some goal. And sticking to it and trying to achieve it to the best of your ability. So he was like, no, I'm good. I'm coming back. And I was like, all right. So he came back. And That's good, though. You, you, know, you put the ball in his court. You let him choose. It, exactly. And, 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 and you have to. Because I think that, you know, what I think that what all of us, I think what all of us learn in life uh, is that, you know, power is, is an illusion to, uh, to a large extent, it's you can kind of force somebody to do something for some time, but sooner or later, you have to have their buy-in. They have to want to do it, and it's got to come from them. So he came back, and it was more of the same, and it was you know running and CrossFit and Muay Thai and grappling and him working his job and this and that, the other, and uh, uh, eventually he got he got down to 153 or whatever it is. He went to his medical. First, he went to his medical and they they basically said okay about everything except his weight. Then he came back. He got down to 153. I know he was going to like those saunas and those like, you know, those, you know, those sweat places or whatever, trying to get those few extra pounds down. And, uh, and he did it. He got in. I spoke with his recruiter who was just, you know, completely floored. And uh, he was going to get his date as to when he was going to start boot camp and the rest of it. But essentially, the hard part was over. Um, and it was a huge achievement for him. And it was an achievement for me. And it was an achievement for achievement, you know, for Dadis and everybody involved in the rest of it. So then sometime after that, I got a phone call from his dad saying that um, he had just received a DUI. And essentially, all of this was over. And uh, so At that point in time, he hadn't gone yet, right? He hadn't left. He no, just had his date. He was, he was, he was like, he, was, he had his date. And then in between that time, he got a DUI. And he spoke to his recruiter about it. And his recruiter was like, you're basically done. Like... The other thing that I found out um, that I found out from my experiences is that, you know, the Coast Guard is actually hard to get into. Um, I I was told that it was the hardest branch to get into for the just the just to get in. There are obviously other things to do in other branches that are 
can be fantastically harder. But they only have, I think, about 35, 36,000 personnel. So they're super picky. They don't need everybody. It's not the army, and we're, it's not wartime. So basically, right. The so, recruiter, the, so the face, ta- the the face tattoo, and and the couple felonies, you know, that's not. It's not going to work. It's not going to work for the Coast Guard. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't really deal with any of that. So the recruiter was like, you know, if he's going to do this again, he's going to have to basically start from the beginning, and yada yada yada. And by that time, I knew that, you know, it's just it was over. So. Man, but what um, a gut punch, you know, like he got from 215 to 155, you know, from st- starting from everybody laughing at him and like, no way it can be done. The yep. recruiter being floored by his transformation, which, yep. you know, deservedly so. Like, you know, I can understand why people were because like most people aren't going to do that. And that's why the recruiter wasn't, he wasn't being mean. He was just being real. Yep. The average person that shows up at 215 isn't going to make 155. It's not going to happen. It's, it's, it's one in a million shot. Yeah. So I know. You know I'm sure yeah. he was proud and you were proud. So like what a yep. what a gut punch that must have been. It was you a know, gut for punch. it to have taken away. Yeah. I, I mean it was it was a gut punch to him and, and you know, I was, you know, very upset about it and, and uh his parents were upset about it and um you know, it was like um well, you know, what are you gonna do? And um uh, you know, I think you know, I think unfortunately you know, there's there's a part of all of us that will that will self sabotage sometimes, and uh, it's kind of tough for me to to wrap my mind around it. And at the time, I thought that to an extent, he kind of subconsciously maybe did it on purpose. Um, maybe he couldn't believe that he was actually going to go. Maybe he was scared of going. Maybe he just didn't know how to deal with success. You know, I don't really know. I'm not sure that he really knows, but, uh, and it, that, yeah. and sometimes you just fuck up, you know, that's it. And like, you know, you like he, you just fuck up and that's it. Like, and then, yeah. you know, then what? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it was, it was tough. And, uh, uh, we didn't really talk for, uh, like a year. And, um, you know, uh, he, I mean, I didn't really want to talk with him and I think that he was hesitant calling me up or whatever. And, you know, and that was just kind of that. And, uh, you know, so about a year passed and then I get a phone call from him one night and he wants to talk and he's very emotional. And, uh, and at this point a year had gone by and, you know, whatever, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really upset or mad at that point. And we talk and, and, you know, he always, um, you know, he, he, he always had a, I I think had a tough time showing any kind of vulnerability and any kind of like true emotion. And I think it was a big deal for him to pick up the phone and basically, uh, you know, he was crying and saying how he was really, really sorry and how him being in Philadelphia and going to Dadis and being part of that family and being part of that community was really the best part of his life. And he was incredibly, incredibly sorry about what had happened. And he understood that, you know, I had put so much time into him and that I, you know, helped create this, again, this community of people that were, that were helping him out uh, to reach his goal. And he was really, 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 really distraught. And, uh, you know, he kept on saying that he was so sorry. And I was like, look, man, I was like, I don't, you know, you don't have to be sorry. And the only thing, if you want to do something, 
you know, if you want to do something, you know, for me, then go do something for yourself. Show me that that wasn't a waste of time. Um, go and do something. And I was like, Raphael, you know, it, it wasn't really ever about the Coast Guard. You know, if you told me that you wanted to, you know, become a car mechanic or a teacher or whatever, I mean, we would have done the same thing anyway, because those skills, they translate into all areas of life. So um, I was like, man, if you want to honor that experience, then just go and don't waste your life. So uh, sometime after that, he went out west. And uh, in 2018, which is now, I think it's about, you know, like two and a half years after his whole experience, um, you know, coming to Philadelphia and hanging out with us and the rest of it, uh, he joined the Oregon uh, Woods Fire Department and he did two seasons there. And uh, in 2020, he then became a wildland firefighter for the Confederated Tribe of Grand Ronde in Oregon, uh, I guess on the, on the Indian tribes, on the Indian lands that are out there. And um, currently, he's with the Borough of Land Management in Burns, Oregon as a federal forest fire. And I think he's now type three. His, his status now is type three uh, as a firefighter. And uh, he's been on hand crews and engine crews. And now he's out at uh, Black Butte, uh, Oregon, which right now that fire is still raging. It's only 30%, you know, 30% contained. And, um, you know, he always wanted to get uh, out of the periphery where he was digging trenches. Um, and he always wanted to get closer. So I think this season, you know, he's really upfront and close with the, with the fires that he's handling. And, and for, everybody, for everybody listening, we were actually, our plan was to have Raf on. And he was ready to go. You know, we had we had the time set up, and you know, yeah. we wanted to hear from Raph and hear his story and hear how it affected him in general. But you know, last minute, you know, he actually got pulled into action. Is out there, you know, kind of doing his thing. You know, going after one of those fires out there. So, um, you know, we still thought it was important to you know have you tell a story and and um, you know explain how that got you started yeah. with the LC. Yeah. Yeah. And he says hi, by the way, he sends his best. And, you know, he's very he's he's very happy about all of this. And he, you know, he remembers, you know, you and others, you know, very fondly and everything. And uh, and, you know, so, you know, there it is, uh, you know, things don't operate on a straight line. And, um, you know, I think it's great. I think it's great what he's doing with his life. And I think that uh, what he's doing is is very important. And he's enjoying himself. And, you know, Jerry, the funny thing is, is that he is now in an ecosystem uh, for his work where he's, you know, he's surrounded by a lot of people that culturally it's very similar to the days of Datus. It's a very kind of similar mindset and similar thing that's going out there. And no, it's not the military, but, you know, you've done both. You've done the military and, you know, you've you've you're also now a fireman and a firefighter. So, uh you know, he's, he's happy there and it's working out for him. And I'm, you know, immensely proud of him. Um, and you know, there is no doubt that that experience that, that we had a couple of years prior to that, you know, played a role. So it's sort of a yeah, story. Good, about I think the good and the bad, you know, so he didn't let the good and the bad, he didn't let his mistake, you know, define him. And he also used what he learned you know, that first time go around and, you know, from going from 215 to 155, you know, getting down on himself, yep. you know, digging himself back up and, 
you know, making something of himself down the line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ecstatic for him and, uh, and he's, you know, he, he's really, he's, he's, you know, a lot of ways the same and a lot of ways that, you know, a different guy now and, uh, and he's doing it and, uh, and, um, and I'm happy and I'm happy to have been part of that journey, uh, you know, with him. So, yeah, that's what he's doing out now. He's he's doing he's doing this crazy job out west where these fires are now raging for uh, you know months on end, as you know, as I'm sure you know. Right, and you're not you're not making one of those crews if you're if you're half assing it. Like you're you're yeah. you're out there in the woods for days, weeks at a time. Yeah, you know, working twelve on, twelve off, sleeping in a in a you know sleeping bag somewhere outside and doing yep. it all over again. So th- these guys are hard men and, and dedicated men and women. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so a good leadership strategy that I've used and learned from Brian Kane is to prepare, perform, and reflect. Mm-hmm. So yep. upon reflection of Coach and Raf, where do you feel like you could have you know, done better there? Yeah, well, I've given that some thought too. Um, you know, aside from Raf losing a lot of weight and learning martial arts and getting a job and things like that, you know, we spent a lot of time talking, of course, about life, different philosophies, how to deal with life. Uh, in retrospect, I could have done a better job in helping him reach his own conclusions concerning life philosophies and patterns of being. Um, I'm not a subjectivist. I believe that there are better and worse ways of being in the world. Uh, however, what I've learned is that to get past someone's defenses, uh, it's more effective to help them reach those conclusions you know, without you necessarily barking at them what's right and what's wrong. So, for example, um, Raf would get into this mindset that because the world was in such dire condition, you know, wars, global warming, corporatism, etc., then what's the point of him doing anything? Well, you know, this is a great way to skirt personal responsibility, in my opinion. Um, but instead of telling him at the time, you know, man, that's just garbage thinking, I should have been more patient in asking him non-threatening questions that would you know, have helped him open up his own thinking processes uh, for him to see the error in his ways uh, rather than just telling him the mistakes that he was making in his thinking. So I, I guess the easiest way to say this, I'm, you know, I've, I've adopted a more Buddhist approach uh, to this over time. Right, which will also lead you into, you know, certain insights as far as, you know, the outcome of, you know, Raf's entire situation from the weight loss to you know, not getting into the Coast Guard, you know, sure. and then making something of it, you know, with getting into the wildland fire department. So um, did it lead you any kind of insights as far as the whole process? Uh, yeah, definitely. Letting go of the outcome and do your best simply for the sake of doing your best. Um, you know, what I learned is you don't know how your actions will reverberate through time. Uh, with Raf and others I've coached, People are going to have their ups and downs and nothing operates on the straight line. Uh, it was years, you know, between the time Raf got his DUI to the time he started with the fire company. And as long as you're alive, you can progress. It's not over. Um, and also, I learned that perfectionism can be the enemy of doing and getting better. So that's the big insight that I got. Right. I actually use that with my fighters all, all the time as far as process over outcome. So, for instance, mm-hmm. we have a fighter that has an eight-week camp, and then a week before the fight, you know, the opponent pulls out. 
right? Sure. So now there's now there's no outcome. There's no fight. There's no win. There's no loss. But what did you get out of those eight weeks? Sure. Right. So you showed up. You trained every day, twice a day. You still got better. There's you know some mentality breakthroughs, etc. So you can't just be focused on the outcome. Of course, everybody likes winning, you know, and or getting to the prize or getting to this goal that you set. But it's got to be process based first. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. I mean, that that is probably the biggest insight that I got during that time with Raphael specifically. Yeah, and speaking of insight, you kind of gave me a little bit of insight as far as your idea, as far as like altruism and coaching. You know, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, you want to take us through that? Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it's really simple. You cannot become a highly effective leader without developing altruism within yourself. Uh, the best leaders are there to serve others and help develop those they serve. Um, you know, after you're done gaining competency in some skill, taking responsibility for yourself, your actions, showing up on time, etc. Uh, that'll, you know, that of course is all very necessary. But to go beyond gaining control over the self, you have to get to this very simple and yet difficult idea that it's not about you. So. No altruism, no great leadership. Yeah, so how did how did that story kind of spawn into you know, making you know coaching an actual business for yourself? Oh yeah, right, 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 right. That was the initial question. So uh oh man, that's that's you know, that's another that's another crazy story. But the short of it is that uh there was this uh you know ex Russian Chechen um uh you know oligarch of a type living in Virginia. Uh, who was talking with a with a friend of mine, and he was complaining bitterly about his 19 year old son, who was uh, who was wildly overweight, who was addicted to playing video games, um, you know, kept on failing out of school, and he was like, you know, he was like, where do I find somebody who could work with my son? You know, someone who is going to be like, you know, way beyond a therapist, way beyond, uh, you know, a, you know, like a personal trainer or anything like that. Like somebody who's just going to help him turn around his life. And my friend told him about the whole story with Raphael. And so this guy was like, okay, he's like, I want, I want to meet this guy like in two days, have him drive down here. And at that point, it really kind of started as a business at that point. And that's when really endurance leadership coaching was born. And that, you know, that, that young man's name uh, is Alex. And uh, I worked with him for quite some time. And, uh, you know, that, that's how it all kind of started because the story of what had happened with Raphael, you know, it got around and then, you know, this father heard about it and hired me to work with the son. That is a, uh, that's a story for another day. Um, you know, Alex had uh, Alex was more challenging than Raphael, to be honest with you. It was it was it was it was quite the thing. But um, but that's how the business was born. And then word got around, and uh, you know, and then um, you know, people just started kind of calling me up, and 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 sometimes it was, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a very big commitment. It was like you know, an hour a week, two hours a week. And of course, with other people, it was very, very extreme. Because in the case of Alex, I mean, I, I basically lived with him for, for six months. Uh, 
which was uh you know which was a lot it was a it was a uh you know a full package uh you know coaching kind of uh job so that's how it was born and um and there was a lot that was learned from this experience with Raphael because i mean really you know it, on that level of intensity it was really the first time that i had tried anything like that um and it was a it was a beta test for me and i think that there was there was a lot that i learned you know by going through that process with him no doubt about it um in terms of what works and what doesn't work and things that i i think i did you know pretty right and other things that you know i i i, I could have done better um so that's kind of how it was officially born it was sort of out of this whole story with Raphael. Yeah, so it seemed like you know th there was a need for it. So you didn't really go into it with the mission of starting your own business, but like as people heard the story, really. like oh man, like I need that too, or you know, kind of just there was a need for it, you know, and someone had to fill that void. Yeah, which I think is you know a way that some businesses start, and then um, you know, and then beyond that, um, I actually got back into I got back into music. And, uh, and I still am, I still do projects, I still do albums and I'm still, you you know, working with younger artists and, you know, it's not necessarily endurance leadership coaching per se, but I bring that mindset, uh, when I'm working with artists and I'm managing projects and, and especially when I'm working with, with, you know, with younger artists, because, um, a lot of it beyond their talent or beyond their songwriting abilities or whatever is, uh, you know, it's helping them get their mind right uh, because in the entertainment business and the music business, there's, you know, there, there's a there's a mix of uh, narcissism there. There's a mix of, uh, you know, big egos. Uh, and you also have to you got to show you got to show what it is that you can do. It, it's tough to hide. Um, so getting your your emotional self right, getting your your mental self right is is really a big part of the game. And that's right. something that I've been able to bring in. Sure. And, and their, their mistakes, you know, they're very public and everybody knows about them. You know, it's, it's out there in 20 seconds and, and it feels like the world's probably coming down on them too. So having someone there to help kind of run them through it. Yeah. And you know, what else, it, 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 the funny thing about that is that, you know, that can happen to, uh, you know, that could happen to Britney Spears, but it could also with these days with social media, it could also happen to, you know, a much smaller artist with a few thousand followers who is maybe 18 or 19 years old. And all of a sudden, you know, his or her friends find out everything about, you know, X, Y, or Z. They're, they're still dealing with, with all of that. It, it, it's a micro version, but, you know, but the contours are very similar. So. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine, you know, if I think about like the worst thing I've ever done and if I found, you know, and then try to think about in the concept that everybody knows about it and has a comment on it, mm -hmm. that'd be terrible. Absolutely mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think a key component of leadership is the ability to be, you know, open about maybe some of the things you've gone through, you know, in your own life. So I'm, I coach fighters as well, you know, and, and like you said, I'm not just, you know, you teach people music. You know, I show up and I'm teaching them some strength conditioning protocols or maybe some specific martial arts protocols. But a lot of the times I'm just being open, open with them about, you know, some of the stuff I've overcome. That way they can use it themselves. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, I like to be transparent like that and show people, you know, some of the hurdles I've overcome. I think it'd be nice for you to be, you know, uh, maybe share some of those your, of your own that you've that you've knocked out in your own life, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I'm in the middle of one right now. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the biggest one right now, I think. And that has to do, 
you know, that, that has to do with my health. Um, but before I even get into that, I mean, you know, first of all, I, one thing when I've worked with people, I, I mean, I have never told anybody that I'm a master of anything because I don't believe that I am. And, uh, you know, I often say that I am just someone else who's, you know, going down the road and trying to do the best that I can. And hopefully, you know, I've gotten some insights that, that can help them too. Um, but uh, the last two years, almost almost last two years, I've been dealing with a lot of health problems. And um, it all kind of came to a big crescendo this past November, December, January. And, uh, you know, I was having problems uh, finding any doctor that can really, really figure out what was going on with me. Um, I was taking a number of tests. They were finding certain things, but not other things. And I was in tremendous amounts of pain and it was chronic too and uh, when we got into the end of december and january i lost all ability to sleep basically and because I, I was in so much pain um and i ended up finding a doctor uh through my family that was able to stabilize me and help me and uh, then i got tested for one thing after the next and you know, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but what it, what it, you know, what it, what it basically is, is that I've got a rare stomach disorder called gastroparesis that I am, um, you know, hell bent on, uh, getting a hundred percent recovering from. There are many doctors who say that there's no cure for it, but there are other doctors who say that there are. Um, and, uh, yeah, last December, January, uh, you know, that was, that was no joke. That was no joke at all. Um, it was really the first time that I understood why, you know, I'm not trying to sound dramatic, but frankly, why somebody would take their own life. And it wasn't a matter of me being, you know, depressed or whatever. It was literally not being able to handle the onslaught of pain. Uh, and for a while there, nobody really being able to tell me what was going on with me, which was, which was maddening. Um, but uh, I am stable now. And I'm considerably better and I got through it. And so far in life, it's definitely been the toughest thing that I've ever, that I've ever been through. Um, I used to hear, you know, if you, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And when I was younger, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I think all of us, um, I think all of us, Jerry, from that community of, you know, Dadis martial arts, I mean, I think when you're a certain age, you, you kind of feel impervious to to pain and disease. And you're like, yeah, whatever. Sure. I don't feel well. I'll do go do this and I'll go do that or whatever. And you just kind of go for it. Um, but in the midst of all that, um, you know, I'll just be really transparent and say that I, I talked before about the leadership books and I talked about Dadis and, and the rest of it. But to be honest with you, again, all of that leads... It, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of leadership and altruism for me, I mean, for me personally, it ends up with God. It ends up in your spiritual relationship with the creator. And um, it was very difficult for me to ask for help. It was very difficult for me to accept help. Um, it was very difficult for me to feel so just com completely and totally powerless uh, over what was going on. Um, and, and actually you know, kind of, it reminds me of, you know, your, there's part of the story with Raph where it took him a year to call you. It, it, you know, exactly. like, it doesn't it, matter. doesn't matter what kind of leadership status you have or how many books you read, like while you're in it, 
you know, that's <laughs> that stuff may not come into play. It may not be the forefront it, of your mind. Like, yeah. you know, it, you might have to reach out to somebody. It, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was something that was difficult for me to do. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's nice being the guy who can offer a hand. And it, it was it was uh, different for me to sort of, you know, accept my extreme vulnerability at that time, uh, because it, it was also very difficult to work at that time, too. So the problem started to really compound. Um, and I would say, man, at the darkest moment of it, I would say that uh, the things that I reached out to, um, and I know this sounds cliche, but it's true, you have to find something outside of yourself, because otherwise you're not going to make it. And I think that for people who are, whether you want to call it religious or spiritual, they can. it could be the creator, it could be God, for people that even in AA, they just ask you to find something outside of yourself. Um, and there were many nights when I was going through it where I, were, I was literally thinking about, uh, you know, the guys at Datus, and you included, and uh, to sort of feel that everybody was with me. Um, I have a nephew, he's five years old. I made a promise to him that no matter what, I wasn't going to, you know, jump out a window or whatever. Um, because the pain was that bad until I got stabilized. And, uh, and it was, a it was, it was difficult. It was, it was difficult to ask for help, but, um, vulnerability was not my, was not my strong suit. Um, but that's another element to everything that we're talking about. And, uh, and I also choose to believe that contrary to all the things that happen on planet earth that everything is being done for you if you can find if you could find the good in it uh and so that's what i choose to believe so through that experience um you know i got to see how amazing my family was and still is i got to see like how much i was being kind of how much energy i was getting from my five-year-old at that time four-year-old nephew um which to me just kind of represented the future, you know, and, and, and innocence and, and all of that. Um, you know, my friends, uh, who were keeping up with me and, and the rest of it and, and, you know, people that I was reaching out to and were reaching out to me and all of that was, you know, was excellent. Um, and through these experiences, uh, you know, you pay a price, but you, you learn from them if you choose to learn from them. Um, so, and I think I also definitely got like less judgmental with myself and with others. And, and I think I became more nuanced in my approach. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, that whole time with Raphael, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I, I felt like I had a, a formula and the formula was pretty good, but, um, you know, formulas only maybe get you so far and, uh, it's, you know, I, I think I, I would have been a little bit more nuanced with him. Um, I think I, I would have been a different coach to him now uh, after going through that experience, uh, you know, than I was, you know, back then. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, there was all of that. And um, and I'm still going through it. And I, I'm still fighting for my full recovery. And uh, I find that, you know, the two things 
the two things that you need, you need uh you need a fighting spirit and you also need love. You have to you have to you have to love something outside of yourself. You got to figure out you got to figure something out that's going to give you uh that's going to give you that meaning. And uh and you could also connect more with people too as I found, you know, if you tell your story and if you're if you allow yourself to be vulnerable uh to those you know, to those experiences and share with, share, share them and talk about them. So, you know, right. And that's something we do on each episode of the podcast. We mm-hmm. like to, I always, you know, I would call it like thanking your tribe of mentors and I've had mm-hmm. plenty in my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm sure there was somebody maybe that stuck out to you that throughout that process while you're going through your medical issues, you know, really stepped up and, and helped you pull through as, uh, so if you want to go through and, and thank that person or, or those people, you know, feel free to take that time. Yeah, listen, I mean, there there are a lot of people, uh, but uh, you know, because of time, I'll I'll focus on one. And uh, in November, I believe, um, I again, I was just in a, I was in a horrible place, and I I could not figure out what was wrong with me, and and other doctors could not figure, you know, and doctors could not figure that either. And I picked up the phone and I called up my guitar teacher. Who I had not spoken with for probably about twelve years. I haven't seen him in a, in about twelve years. And uh, his name is Rodney Jones, and he's um, a very quite a famous guitar player, jazz guitar player in New York City. He taught at Man- Manhattan School of Music. He taught at Juilliard. He's played with everybody. He's done everything. He's toured the world. He's done it all. He's but he's also known to be really an excellent teacher, and he's also a really just a fine human being. Um, I reached out to him, and he picked up the phone. He was like, hey, what's up? And I was like, how the fuck did you, like, how do you recognize my voice? It's been like 12 years. It's been 12 years. Yeah. Like, how do, you, how do you know it's me? And we just started talking as if no time had passed. And, and he goes, and he goes, how are you? And then, you know, Jerry, I, I kid you not. I said what probably at that time was the hardest thing I'd ever said. I said, I am not doing well. And it was so difficult to utter those words. I'm not doing well at all. And then he started asking me about, yeah, well, what's going on? And, uh, and we started talking, and I still talk to him to this day, uh, once every couple of weeks or whatever. Um, and he's been a, you know, he was an amazing mentor back then, and and he's, you know, he's been, you know, an amazing mentor now, uh, and helping me out, you know, psychologically and spiritually with all sorts of different things. Um, so I definitely want to, you know, give him a shout out and say big thanks to, you know, to him. Um, and really amazing guy and amazing to had met him when I was, uh, I think, initially 15 years old. So that was, you know, that that was very, very fortunate for me. Yeah, same. And, uh, you know, for me, you, know, you spoke a little bit about, you know, you were in so much pain that, you know, you were you know, thinking about taking your own life. And two years ago, uh, my father did exactly that. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, as you know. Yep. I remember you telling me. And, um you know, I needed a life at that point in, in many areas, but you know, one particular, like we had to, 
you know, his ca- his house was in foreclosure. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to, I'd have flipped his entire house. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and you know, I have a little bit of skills there, but not, you know, not too much, but I had a friend of mine who I've grown up with, who, you know, was hooked up in that area and knows everybody as far as, you know, A to Z from plumbing all the way down, electrical all the way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy Greg stepped up. He was one of the first call, first calls that I made. And from day one until the sale of the house, he was there every single day, you know, getting the work done. And without him, there's no possible way I would have gotten you know, through that process mm-hmm. successfully. And he deserves a thousand thank yous, you know, and to me moving forward, yeah, I can just thank him a lot, but my objective is going to be just, there's going to be a point in time where he needs it and I'm going to be there point blank period. Yeah, of course. And that's, yep. that's, I'm going to set myself to that and hold myself to that standard. Yeah. Thank God for friends, you know, friends holding up each other because, uh, you know, that's what, that's what people need. And, uh, yeah, I, I totally, I totally hear that, man. I totally hear that. All right, Max. Yeah. So before we go for the day, mm-hmm. I want to thank you for coming on, you know, being My transparent, pleasure. sharing your story, sharing Raph's yeah. story and, you know, you offering that, that free year of mentoring. So again, if anybody's listening and wants to get a hold of either me or Max, you know, please reach out. You know, we'll make it happen. We'll make a connection. You know, and try to make some positive impact here. Yeah, so Max, absolutely. if they do want to get a hold of you, you know, how do they do that? Uh, you can go to enduranceleadershipcoaching.com or you could just email me at maxfishermusic at gmail.com. That's going to be M-A-X-F-I-S-H-E-R-M-U-S-I-C. Uh, those are the two best ways to reach me. Yeah, absolutely. That's all the time we have for today. Awesome. I'm going to thank Max for coming on again, you know, offering that coaching for ELC. Thank you, Jared. And thank the listeners. Um, for tuning in and if you want to follow us on social media and share please do so if you want to subscribe you can go to apple google spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and i want to thank you for living the altruistic lifestyle hey man i had a great time uh what you're doing is amazing thank you for the opportunity and uh appreciate you got it see you next time